Divine favor given with delight, grace given to the undeserving. Hen. Hen is all about the beauties and realities of God, scripture, and the gospel. The goal is to be fluent in all of these things in the everyday experiences of life. Hen, hosted by Deandra, also seeks to touch on practical topics relating to theology, historic Christianity, and the modern day church. Welcome to Hen Podcast. Grace and peace, everyone. Welcome back to Hen Podcast. I'm your host, DeAndre, and today we're actually going to do a Bible study. Our Bible study is going to be on Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Um, a couple reasons why I actually want to do this study. Also, you will hear me flipping through the pages um, just a bit as I get there to Hebrews 12. But um, I don't know when this is going to be posted, so I don't know how far it will be from when I actually heard the sermon. But a few Sundays ago from today, um, my pastor preached on running the Christian race well, and he talked about Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 2. Um, and I was greatly encouraged by what he had said because he wasn't talking about um, being, he wasn't being motivational or inspirational in the terms of the world. He was giving us the pure inspiration of what these scriptures said. Um, and I have never seen that. And I was so greatly encouraged. So um, last Wednesday, I did a Bible study with my friends and I shared this with them and we studied it together. Um, and many of them walked away feeling so greatly encouraged. And while we have the, the great word of God, while we have um, the Lord himself, his spirit comforting us and encouraging us through the scriptures, um, through the word of God. We really flourish when we are encouraged by our brothers and sisters, um, and it is best and it is most effective when our encouragement for, to one another comes from the scriptures. Um, I had no idea that it was going to encourage them that much, but I knew it would be encouraging because it encouraged me. Um, and just listening to their testimonies, I was like, wow, I did not know it was going to encourage them that much. Um, but that's why I want to share this with you all today. Um, I want... I pray that this, I don't want, I pray and hope that this would be an encouragement to you, inspiring you to continue the Christian race, fighting the good fight, um, because there is a great reward for it. And God has given us, given us every single thing that we need to run this race well and to live a life that is pleasing unto him. Um, so let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through two. Um, and I'm going to read in ESV. So it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. So I kind of want to go through um, these two verses and look at what this writer is actually saying. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the book of Hebrews. When we're studying any isolated scriptures or any isolated text, context is extremely important. When you're looking at one verse or a couple verses, what is the context of the chapter? What is the context of the book? Um, 
what is the context of that bulk of scriptures because the scriptures were not originally written with numbers um chapters and verses they were written as whole collective letters hebrews is a whole letter um so what is the context of the entire letter what why did the writer write it who were they talking to we want to know all of those things um so for what we know right now, the writer of Hebrews is unknown. However, many attribute it to Paul. I've seen people say it's Priscilla, but nobody really knows. Um, however, the style of writing is vastly different from Paul. Um, and that's why most scholars believe that Paul didn't write it. Because as we see in Paul's letters, he normally has a salutation where he's like, Grace and peace be unto you from the Lord Jesus Christ, um, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Or um, something like that. Or he ends with the doxology. But Hebrews doesn't have that. Um, so it's probably not Paul in the eyes of most scholars. Um, but anyways, um, regardless of who the human author is, the Holy Spirit is the divine author of all scripture, according to second Timothy three sixteen. Therefore, Hebrews holds the same authority as the rest of scripture. Um, so it was likely written around AD 65. This letter is the purpose of correcting the Hebrews. Um, many of them the early Jewish believers, they were slipping back into Judaism, especially to escape persecution. Um, but this letter was an exhortation for these persecuted believers to continue in the grace of Jesus Christ, um, which makes sense as to why Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 is so encouraging about running the race well. Um, so let's get some context summary of what we're reading. Um at Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. So the context of this actually starts at Hebrews chapter 11 verses 32. Um, and the theme of these verses speak of Old Testament heroes who exemplified great faith and trust in God. The verses speak of general faith, faith in the face of trials, and faith resulting in victory. Um, and the great cloud of witnesses mentioned in um, Hebrews 12 1 um, they are all mentioned in chapter 11. They are people who demonstrated the power of true godly faith. Um, so let's look at these names. Let's go to Hebrews 11 and I'm not going to read all of it, but even when you start at the first verse, you go down, you see the first person named is Abel. Then you see Enoch. Who's after Enoch? You keep going. You see Noah. You keep going. You see Abraham. You keep going. You see Jacob. Um, you see Isaac, you keep going down, you see um, Sarah, you keep going down, you see, um, you just see more and more and more. There's another name that I'm looking for, Moses, I'm pretty sure. Yep, you see Moses here in verse 24. Um, and then you come down to verse 32, you see Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, you see the prophets, you see those who were um who stopped the mouths of lions you see those who enforced justice who conquered kingdoms who um obtained promises who quenched the the power of fire um who escaped the edge of the sword who were made strong out of the weakness um you even see people who suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonments those who were stoned sawn in two martyred all of these people are included in this great cloud of witnesses in verse 
chapter 12, verse 1. Um, but one thing I've come to find is not only are the Old Testament heroes and the prophets a part of this great cloud of witnesses, the writers of the New Testament and the early church in the New Testament are also in that cloud of witnesses. All the Christians that lived before us are a part of that great cloud of witnesses. Um, and that's what it's saying in verse 1, but we're going to get into that in a second. So this letter... Um, to the Hebrews, written to the the um, persecuted early Jewish believers, it was purposed to encourage them, but also to inspire and convict them. Um, so today, this is an encouragement for us to strive to endure um, and to hold fast, living out the same godly faith as this great cloud of witnesses. So let's go back to verse one and let's exposit this. Sorry if you hear me moving around a lot. I'm like in the Bible, also on my iPad. Um, to look at my notes, but we're going to get through it anyway. So let's he read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 one more time. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us. So the writer here is exhorting all who profess faith in Christ to remove or put off any burden, any sin that keeps us from the from conformity to Christ, especially sin. Um, they are also instructing us to persevere, patiently enduring all things until we grow and mature in the faith. And that has some scripture reference, I believe, to James 1 verses 2 through 4. There's another verse I'm thinking of, but I will um, get to it later. Um, but also this is an encouragement for us to persevere through trials, knowing that we won't be overwhelmed because by them, because of God's faithfulness, um, we won't be overwhelmed by them because I'm like jumbling over my words, but anyways, we won't be overwhelmed by these trials because of God's faithfulness. And I believe that's a reference to second Corinthians three. I can't remember exactly what verse it is. Um, but yeah, so in verse 12, 1, it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who is this great cloud of witnesses? So like I shared with you in the earlier verses of chapter 11, Hebrews mentions Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab, all exemplifying great faith. And then in verses 32 through 40, it speaks of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and Samuel. It also speaks of the the prophets and the early believers who experienced martyrdom and great persecution. Um, the Old Testament heroes, they looked forward in faith to the coming of the Messiah. So since this great cloud of witnesses paved the way for us, we must now lay aside every weight and sin to run the race set before us looking to the Messiah, which is the instructions in verse 2. Um to Christ. So they were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, but we're looking to the Messiah because he has already come for us. Um, so what does the writer mean by this great cloud of witnesses is surrounding us? Um, it means, and it's giving the idea figuratively, not literally, nobody is looking down at us from heaven, cheering us on. Um, only one looking down at, at us from heaven is God himself. Um, but yeah, what the writer means by this is that the idea is that we are to act as if they were living today around us today, they would be cheering us on. 
um, to the same victory in life of faith that they themselves obtained. These godly examples, they, they are to inspire us during our lives. Not only are we seeing the faithfulness of God, we're seeing the grace and glory of God in them um, through the biblical story, all the way leading to Christ. Everything is about Christ, but yet we can still be encouraged by these people's lives because by faith, they honored and they pleased God. Um, and we can look at their examples and be encouraged to continue running this Christian race. And they did so by looking forward to the Messiah, which was the promise of God. And we do the same thing. We look to the Messiah, but we also look forward to the promise of God, which is for him to redeem mankind, make the new heaven and the new earth, um, to give us new glorified bodies and to dwell with him forever. Um, so, like I said, these godly examples, um, these godly examples are to inspire us during our lives, encouraging us to live the way in which they did by faith. Faith pleases God. Um, this great cloud not only includes the New Testament heroes, like I said, but also the apostles, the writers of the New Testament. Um, also, all of those of the faith mentioned in the New Testament that were faithful believers and also the millions and millions of believers that have gone before us, bearing witness to the life of faith we are presently living. Above all, our ultimate example is Jesus Christ himself, for he exemplified how we are to live our lives, resisting all of the very same temptations that we faced and that we do face with the firm understanding that his suffering was a part of God's sovereign will for the greater good, his glory and the salvation of man. It's so interesting to me because there's two examples that I referred to the most about God's sovereign will. And there's a difference between God's sovereign will and his revealed will. And I think I'll try to do an episode on the sovereignty of God um, after I studied it a bit more so we can talk about the difference. But the revealed God, will of God is everything that we have in the scriptures. The sovereign will of God is hidden. and It is only for him to know. Um, so you might be going through some suffering right now um, and it may seem uncomfortable, painful, um, and you may be angry at God, but in God's sovereignty, he knows that that suffering is going to refine you. He knows that that suffering is going to be for the greater good. And he turns everything out for the good of those who love him. That is the example that happened with Joseph and with Jesus. Joseph sold at the evil hands of his brothers and they actually they actually initially wanted to kill him. Um, but the with the evil intention of his brothers... Joseph such suffered much. He was accused of something he didn't do. He was put into jail. He was sold by his brothers, taken away from his father and his mother, and his mother died while he was away. But yet God sent him ahead in his sovereignty to preserve not only the lives of his brother and his father, but all of Egypt and all of the surrounding nations. So in God's sovereignty, that was the greater good. The evil of man, the evil of the religious leaders and the Jews, they put Jesus to death. They killed him. But in God's sovereignty, he was pleased to crush Jesus Christ so that he would have a people for himself who would be with him forever, be reconciled to him and have an inherit an eternal life. So those are two examples of God's sovereign will. And that's what I mean when I say that Jesus understood his suffering was a part of God's sovereign will. And we're going to talk about more of that in verse two. Um, so he faced that suffering and all of the New Testament believers, all of the Old Testament heroes, they suffered greatly, but they understood God's sovereign will and they trusted in it and they lived by faith and did 
what was pleasing to God and they obeyed him and they, um, and I'm sure it must've been hard. I'm sure it was hard for Abraham and Sarah to believe God's promise about them having, uh, being the parents of many nations. I'm sure it was hard to believe, but yet by faith, they still trusted God anyway. So what does the writer mean by weight or some say burden, um, but lay aside every weight and sin by weight. The writer means every burden and sin because sin is a burden, everything and anything that would cause us to be in bondage and hinder us from running this race, anything that would cause us to stop keeping our focus set on Jesus Christ. Sin itself is a weight and it is a burden to every sinner. While it's different for us in Christ because we are simultaneously saint and sinner. Um, and while Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, we still live in the flesh. And we still face the same battle that Paul um, expresses and talks about in Romans 7. Sin is a hindrance in running the Christian race. And therefore, we must lay it aside by laying it upon Christ. We must kill temptation when it presents itself. Um, casting it down to the knowledge and obedience of Christ. So to run this race well, we must be in the practice of abstaining from and putting off sin. We must practice killing temptation and even putting off worldly cares, riches, and honors. And here's a couple quotes. I know in my um, episode about the Puritans, I spoke about how much I enjoy Richard Sibbs. Um, and here's a few quotes that talk about um, us putting our cares um, in worldly things, riches, and honors. So he talks about how the immoderate use of any earthly thing takes away spiritual sense. For the more sensible the soul is of outward things, the less it is of spiritual. If we're more sensible towards worldly cares, riches, and honors, is we're going to be less sensible to the things of the Spirit, the things of the Holy Spirit, the things of God, the things of His Word. Um, so it's really a matter of what are we immoderately using over the word? And I believe this is why God joins together prayer and fasting so that we don't get so easily entangled into setting our affections on things of this world as opposed to setting them on Christ. Um, he also says, when a man has set his love upon created things, the very strength of his soul is lost. When we're setting our love upon, upon created things, things on this earth, the strength of our soul is lost. Why? Because the strength of our soul is God. God is our strength. And if our love is not set on him, we will be very, very weak. And when sin presents itself, we will have no protection and we will fall right into it and fall right into its trap and be burdened by it. Richard Sibbs also says, therefore, we are bidden to take heed that our hearts be not overcome with drunkenness and the cares of this life, for those will make man to be insensible to spiritual things. We don't want to be insensible to spiritual things. So we must take heed that our hearts do not be overcome with too much love or too much immoderate use or immoderate use at all of the cares of this life. And all these quotes are from The Tender Heart, um, which is a book that I recommended in my last episode. Um or it actually might come out after this one. It depends. But when you see it, you'll see it. Um, and then he also backs up all of these quotes with this scripture. It's in Luke 21, verse 34. It says, be on your guard. This is Jesus speaking. Be on your guard so that your hearts are not weighed down. There's that word weight again. Weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness in the worries of this life. And that day closed down um, upon you suddenly like a trap. It easily entraps us. It easily ensnares us. Um, so we must be on our guard so that our hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and worries of this life. 
Um, so what is sin? Sin is any thought, word, or action that is contrary to the character and law of God. So if you have any Christians out here saying they are without sin, they're lying. Because every day we have a thought or a word or an action that is contrary to the character and law of God. Every day. Which is why we must confess our sins. Which is why we must ask for forgiveness daily. Like Jesus taught us in the prayer. There's a lot of Christians out here who will tell you, you don't need to ask for forgiveness. Yes, are we justified? Yes, are we generally forgiven? Yes, that is true. But saying that you don't have to confess your sins and saying that you don't have to ask forgiveness is an overreaction and it is borderline. I'm not even going to say borderline. It is antinomianism. Antinomianism. I think that's how you say it. But yeah, we must confess and ask for forgiveness. Um... And you can read that testimony in First John chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. So what is this endurance that is talking about? It says, therefore, since we are surrounded, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which includes us, which clings to us so closely, and let us run this race with endurance. Let us run with endurance. What is endurance? Endurance. To endure is more than just continuing to exist. It is continuing to, to exist in the same manner as before the suffering began. This is like the testimony of Paul. Look at the life of Paul through his letters, through Romans, um, and even in Acts. Um, and you can see how Paul endured well. Even though he suffered, he endured well. Um, and you look at his testimony in philippians and you look at how he says to live is christ and to die is gain you look at how in philippians four thirteen, where he's saying i can do all things through christ that strengthens me meaning he can be content in any circumstance um that's the testimony of him so in verse one um the writer is saying that we ought to act and live as if the old testament and new testament saints and the millions of faithful believers before us and Christ himself are here cheering us on. This is a summary of verse 1. Um, and since we have this great cloud of witnesses, we should strip ourselves of every unnecessary weight, including sin, including anything that would hinder us in actively running this Christian race with endurance. Perseverance is a fruit and evidence of true salvation. For if we are living out biblical Christianity... We even endure in the face of persecution and suffering, not because of our power or our might, but because of the Holy Spirit who is at work in us. So let's go to verse two. So this version I'm reading from says, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. So it's a continuation. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set out before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 2. I'm going to read it again in this version. So it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Listen to this from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, and Romans 8, 6. It says, If then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's Colossians 3, 1, 2. Here's Romans 8, 6. 
For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the, uh, on the spirit is life and peace. To fix our eyes on Jesus is literally to set our minds on him. And when I say set our minds on him, I don't mean just thinking about him. I mean focusing intently on him, being preoccupied with him. Um, what does it mean when it says set, setting our minds on the things of the spirit? Um, these things of the spirits are the things of the spirit of God. Um, they are the things of God, the things of the glory and majesty of God. It is Jesus. It is the things of God, um, the knowledge of God. So we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, set our minds on him. Um, and to do that, it is to set our desires, our affections, our ambitions, our will, our mind all on him. How do we do that? We must de be deeply enriched in the scriptures, knowing the revealed will of God, um, knowing the person and work of Christ, knowing the person of God, knowing the character and the heart of God and Christ, um, knowing the work of the Holy Spirit the nature of the holy spirit it is important that we know those things and set our whole entire our hearts and minds on those things um and that is the key to loving god with all of our being or all of our heart soul mind and strength um so what does it mean that jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith or the um the founder and perfecter of our faith the writer is saying that jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith he is the captain and completer or finisher of our faith jesus in his divinity he both creates and sustains our faith faith unto salvation or saving faith is a gift from god how do we know that from ephesians 2 verses 8 through 9 um, and it comes from christ since he is the giver and the sustainer true saving faith cannot be lost essentially in short that is a insight into the doctrine of the perseverance of saint of perseverance of saints listen to what jesus says in john chapter 6 verses 37 through 39 all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What is the will of the Father? Jesus says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. True believers, true Christians are the gift of God to the Son. Um and the will of God is that all of those that he has given to the son, they will not be lost. And we also know that the word says that the gifts of God are irrevocable. So if God has gifted us to the son, it's irrevocable. We cannot be lost. Our salvation is secured. Nothing we do will secure it. it Christ literally is the creator and sustainer of our faith. Um, especially that saving faith, which literally made us to believe in Jesus Christ and to save us. So as you can see, this is absolutely passive and uh, independently done from us. God absolutely does this on his own, by his own will, by his own sovereign will, by his own plan, um, by his own power. And that is why we can be assured and a lot of people like to say, oh, it's not true because you can fall away from the faith if you go back to living in sin. And what about these people? If you do not understand new birth, if you do not understand regeneration, it's not going to make sense to you. To be in Christ is to be made a new creation, to be born again. 
new creations with new hearts have new desires new affections they no longer live as a sinner they no longer continue on in sin they no longer continue to live in rebellion they live a life of sanctification and repentance and sanctification is necessary unto glorification so god is extremely wise in what he has done he is more than capable to create it and sustain it and work in us until the day of completion which we see is the testimony of philippians 1 verse 6 and philippians 2 13 um and i'm not arguing with nobody about that doctrine no more if you don't believe it you can wrestle with the scriptures um so what does it mean when it says for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross and a lot of people interpret this wrongly um but it literally means the joy that was set before him the joy that was set before him is what christ knew what his death was going to produce jesus knew his life his death and his resurrection even though he wanted to escape physical suffering every human does that is our flesh reaction to suffering and pain and persecution nobody wants to go through excruciating pain obviously jesus did not willingly want to go through that but he did anyway for the joy that was set before him what was that joy that was set before him that many would be reconciled to god that many would be saved um and given eternal life that many would be made this new creation this people of god that would dwell with christ forever that was the joy that was set before him, that he would be the first of many brethren, um, the first of many to be this new creation that gets to dwell with God forever in a new earth, in a new heaven. That is the joy that was set before him. And that is why he endured the cross. Um, that's what that means. And you can check out, um, there's a video on YouTube. It's called For the Joy Set Before Him. And it's on Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And John Piper explains it so beautifully and concisely. Um, so I encourage you to watch that. So all in all, um, this writer is exhorting us to look away from all that will hinder us and focus our eyes and set our minds on Christ, who is the creator and sustainer of our faith. The gift of saving faith from God through Christ and the work of the Spirit in new birth gives us belief. It is also Christ who brings our faith to maturity. So the writer is telling us that Christ, for the joy of accomplishing the goal or will of God set before him, endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and sat at the right hand of God, revealing his deity, authority, and completion of his work. And like I said, what was this goal? It was having a spiritual seed, a numerous offspring, with him in heaven who are his joy and crown of rejoicing for the sake of the salvation of all of the elect on which his heart was set and for the glorifying of the divine perfections which was no small delight and pleasure to him and it gives reference to psalm 21 um so i want to wrap up this study with psalm 21 um because even though david has wrote this it is a very much mess messianic um messianic psalm and i learned this from paul washer i told you all john piper and paul washer top two faves so let's go to psalm 21 and i don't think i'm going to read the whole thing but david says "O lord in your strength the king rejoices and in your salvation how greatly he exalts you have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He has asked life of you, 
you gave it to him length of days forever and ever his glory is great through your salvation splendor and majesty you bestow on him for you make him most blessed forever you make him glad with the joy of your presence for the king trusts in the lord and though the steadfast love of the most high and through this love of through the steadfast love of the most high he shall not be moved i will read the whole thing um verse eight your hand will find all your enemies and your right hand will find all those who hate you you will make them as a blazing oven when you appear the lord will swallow up wallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them you will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from the children of man um though they plan evil against you though they devise mischief they will not succeed for you will put them to flight you will aim at their faces with your bowls be exalted o lord in your strength we will sing and praise your power excuse me so david is writing this he is rejoicing in the lord's strength but this is such a messianic and it goes so far beyond david that it even goes into the heart of christ look O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly exalts. Look at verse 2. You have given him his heart's desire. What was Christ's desire? What was this request of Jesus' lips? That we would be his spiritual offspring with him in heaven, who are the joy and crown of his rejoicing. And God was pleased to meet this because it was the heart of all three of the persons of the Godhead to save mankind. They created mankind. And Though we rebelled against him, together, the Godhead, three distinct persons, in their heart, they delighted to save man, elect man to save, give Christ a, she um, a sheep that he would give his life for, um, and of those sheep, he would lose not a single one of them. And even if one of them wandered, he's going to get the one leaving the 99. Um, so it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, and if you want to listen to an actual sermon about this and how it is messianic and relates to the very heart and um, desire of Christ, you can look at this sermon on YouTube. It is Psalms 21, and it's a sermon preached by Paul Washer. But like I said, what David writes in Psalms 21 is far beyond himself, especially when you have a Christological view or a Christ-centered view. Um, you can see through this um, so many of Jesus's words in the gospel, especially in the gospel of John and especially in his high priestly prayer in John 17. Um, but with all that being said, I pray that this uh, encouraged you. And I'm going to go back to Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 so that I can um, just wrap this up and give you um a short summary of what we just studied but when i studied this the first time y'all i was so greatly encouraged and i just wanted to weep because i had my pastor really exposited this so well um so let's read it one more time therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with the endurance the race that is set before us looking to christ Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated 
at the right hand of the throne of God. So what is this saying? It's saying, therefore, since we are surrounded by the Old Testament heroes, the New Testament writers and the apostles, all of the millions of Christians, faithful Christians that live before us, people like the reformers and the Puritans and those who lived biblical lives, um, even those who are biblical Christians in our lives encouraging us, since we have this great cloud of witnesses encouraging us and figuratively cheering us on let us lay aside every single thing that hinders us from pursuing this walk with jesus christ and keeping our eyes and focus on him let us lay aside every weight every single sin get rid of it kill it um so that we can continue to run this race well and how do we run this race well we run this race well by looking to jesus setting our focus intently on jesus setting our desires our hearts our minds our affections our ambitions on jesus um who is the creator and sustainer of our faith and because of this um we can have assurance and hope in running this race because jesus created it and he sustains it um and we cannot be lost we cannot be shaken um and like it says the founder and perfect of our faith who before for the joy that was set before him um endured the cross jesus for the joy that was set before him, us being reconciled to God, us being a new heavenly offspring in the new heaven and earth that will be with him forever, his pride and his joy, um, his crown of rejoicing. For that joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, even though he despised its shame. And he is now glorified at the right hand of God, revealing his deity and authority. And because Christ endure the cross for the joy that is set before him let us endure every single trial every persecution every suffering for the joy that's set before us by looking to jesus christ looking to the messiah that we have now and looking before us um looking forward to looking to the joy that is set before us which is the new heaven and the new earth spending eternity with God. So all in all, I just pray that you were encouraged by this. And I encourage you to study Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Um, and listen to some John Piper on this. He has a wonderful exposition on the book of Hebrews. Um, but all in all, I pray that you all enjoyed this episode. I love you. Grace, peace, and love.